This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for February 8th. This is episode 2867. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Endurance Day. And Karen is back with us. And Karen, uh, there's been all kinds of uh, endurance-looking people riding around here in Ocala. Oh, good. <laughs> I so the other morning it was we had the coldest night we've ever had here. This is going to make some of you mad. Uh, th- since we <laughs> moved here, and it was twenty one degrees, and I actually went to the store that morning early because I I go to the grocery store on Sunday mornings like at seven o'clock because none of the old people are blocking the aisles yet. <laughs> so that's when I go. So I went that, uh-huh. and it was seven o'clock, twenty one degrees, and I passed an endurance rider lo- riding along the road, of course. All, all bundled <laughs> up, and I could tell it's an, you can tell an endurance rider. I mean. Just know. Uh-huh. So I passed her on the way out. So I maybe an hour at the store coming back. She was going the other direction on the way back. I was like, okay, anybody <laughs> riding 21 degrees for that long uh, is an endurance uh-huh. rider. There's no question. Good for them. <laughs> <laughs> and they were probably freezing because it doesn't get that cold here in Florida usually. So <laughs> you're you're used to it. Well, you know, when you have the right gear, it's all, you know, um, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, you know, just being prepared for those kinds of conditions can make the difference between, you know, having a great day and, you know, just being cold, which none of us really like to do. Once you get going, it's a lot easier to get, you know, and stay motivated. Well, let me tell you, when I was on my way back, she hadn't taken any layers off yet. So uh, <laughs> she was well, still that pretty. Would, that, could, that would still only have been like eight in the morning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> still cold. Still cold. So what is coming up? Who do we have on today's show? Okay, today's show, we have an endurance rider from the Southeast who's a very successful competitive rider, uh, Farzad Farati. And uh, and then our next guest is Diane Connolly, who is ride manager for the upcoming Old Dominion National Championship ride in June. And we're going to also talk with her about some of the Old Dominion educational seminars that they are putting on every month. So we had a request from some of our listeners in the past month to do more about East Coast stuff because you're based in the West Coast. So there you go. Look at you. Doing We're East doing Coast East stuff. Coast stuff because that's where everything's happening right yeah, now. Yeah, ain't nothing happening out <laughs> west right now except to get cold and freezing. That's pretty much it. <laughs> so speaking of which, um, you've been pretty cold. Have you had any chance to get your horses out? And do you plan on doing shows with the new horse this year? Endurance. Well, I hope I will with Jovi. Um, I sent in his paperwork. I got him registered. So now he's officially a, a registered. Well, he was already a registered Arabian, but now he's mine. <laughs> now he's uh, your registered Arabian. That's right. Yes. So uh, in the process of that, uh, on the paperwork, it says that he had a gender change. So I had not realized when I registered him and put down that he was now a gelding, that that apparently changed his gender so we were kind of um, i didn't know they did that either there's i mean do they know they're still boys i uh, clearly yes (laughs) so i you know the i just thought that was kind of interesting yeah i didn't know that either because i've never taken a stallion and re-registered so i haven't either they've all been registered after they were gelded so Um, but I guess they got to call it something, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> from being listed as a stallion to a gelding. So, so we got that done. I have been working with them a lot more. He's coming along. He's starting to get a little more cooperative. And apparently he does mo- know more than he was letting. How on old is he again? Back- huh? How old is he again? He's seven. Seven. Okay. And he was, you know, he got really stubborn after the, I had, you know, five months of treating him. 
uh, with that sarcoid, and he became, you know, very <laughs> difficult yeah, no and kidding. stubborn. And um, <laughs> the guy'd be stubborn too. Yes, yeah. and so now he's doing really good. Um, the two horses, whenever I can get uh, one of my juniors to come and ride with us, they can go out together, and they're doing really, really well together. Um, of course, their family also came down with COVID, so. Um, you know, there's always something getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so the last time we went out, um, we were out there heading out down the trail. We were already on the trail. And here comes a lady driving out with her dogs in her car. And she pulls, she drives right up behind us, pulls over, stops, and lets her two, they're like hound dogs, out of the car. Right beside you. Of, right next to us. I mean, we're talking 100 Do feet people away. People have no common sense. But th- no with common horses, sense. they don't. If they don't know about horses, they don't have any common sense. And, and, they're, and then, of course, the dogs have zoomies. So they're zooming right. back and forth between the horses, around the horses, you know, and, and Apollo, because I have healers, he always wants to turn and face him because he doesn't like to be healed. <laughs> right. So uh, he was not liking having these dogs running all around him. And I told her something like, you know, this horse really doesn't like your dogs running around and like that. And she responded with something really stupid, like, well, it's okay. My dog is okay with your horses. <laughs> she really didn't get it. <laughs> as if it mattered what I thought her dog Dogs, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if you, you didn't hear the story probably uh, about, uh, about Jennifer's horse, Nigel. So if Nigel had been in that situation, she'd had a dead dog. Because uh, she was out in the field one day and just out in the field cleaning the field, and a raccoon had gotten in the field. Uh oh. And Nigel ran over and stomped that thing. Really? Went uh-huh. after it and just stomped it. It managed to saunter away and got up a tree, but I, it, it, she said there's no way it, it got... lived after that because oh, man. he stomped it to death. So now she's after yeah. she has to be really careful when she sees yeah. dogs. <laughs> yeah. So. Earlier this year, my husband caught Apollo chasing a coyote across the field. I mean, he oh, Apollo will teach him, back. huh? <laughs> Get out my field. After that thing, it barely got away. So <laughs> you know, I have no doubt that you know that. Uh, well, and, we don't know then, how much the raccoon was tormenting him either. You know, that raccoon okay. could have been throwing things at him from the tree, you know, just tormenting him. And the raccoon would get in his water bowl and would poop in his water bowl oh, out there. Oh, okay. Well, so then. I think he it. just had enough. <laughs> I gotta, you got to respect your fellow critters out there. It's always amazing, oh though, when you see a horse, like with the coyote thing, like when you see a horse actually protect their, their territory like that. They can right. get vicious. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah. And and these this lady, I told her where we were going. And, of course, the dogs are running loose way away from where she even is at now. And they're coming up behind us in the trees around blind turns coming up on us. And I'm like, you know, the, just like with uh, Nigel, this horse is for sure going to nail one of those dogs. And it's not going to be a pretty thing, you know, so... Um, but it's like, really, people, you, you had all these different directions you could have gone. You could have sat in your car and waited for a couple of minutes. Yeah. And uh, they, but, have no, you know, they have no concept of horses or, you know, they think they're like dogs, right? So they have no exactly. concept. They just don't have but, any. But the good thing is, is Jovi, he was just fine. He, he didn't seem as bothered. Apollo's a little more bothered because, like I said, my cattle dog always has wanted to herd him for some reason. And, uh, um, and of course, she's smart enough to not get too close to get kicked or she probably would have been kicked by now. But, but he will turn and face the dog because that's kind of just what he wants to do. And so there I am, you know, on the trail with this, the junior riding the new green horse. And I'm on the more experienced one that's spinning around in circles. <laughs> there you go. Oh, well, so I'm optimistic, Jovi. I think he, he, you know, he's he just needs to get his basics down good, and then we're going to start doing some more miles, and then um, I'm going to start taking him to some events and seeing how he handles the mental stimulation of being in and around groups of other horses. Yeah, that's always the big test, isn't it? Coming right? and going. Yeah. yeah, there's always something. So, well, let's. It is cold where you are. Uh, you said you've been averaging what temperature? Um. Gosh, and during the days, it's been in the 
maybe 30s and 40s, and we're supposed to get up into the 50s oh, now. Wow. And then at night, down into the teens or even single digits. Okay, so your tip this month is about how to stay dry and warm while riding in the wet or cold weather, and especially for endurance riders, because you guys tend to go out longer than most people do. So. Well, exactly. And, and you can and using an indoor is not great. Just going around in circles and circles and circles. No, circles. no. <laughs> and, and we're out there earlier, getting the horses fed and ready. And then if we're trailering somewhere, you know, so you want to be dressed nice and warm. I find if you get yourself warm to begin with, it's a lot easier than trying to warm yourself up. You know, once you get cold, what we call cold seat bones, it's really hard to recover from that. You know, it takes a while. So, so just I have some tips. Um, You want to dress in layers. Um, If you can get the high tech fabrics, they work a lot better. You know, comfortable, like cotton is comfortable, but once it gets wet or you're sweating, like because you're, you get overdressed. it gets heavy and it doesn't really breathe as well. So, you you know, you want to have layers of the high-tech stuff. So, like you had mentioned before, you can peel things off when, once you start. it starts to warm up. Uh, when it's really, really wet, one of the things I've done on endurance rides that worked great is I got a gallon freezer bag or grocery store bags, wrapped them over my socks, duct taped my ankles, and then put my shoes on. So even if you have waterproof shoes or boots, this will keep your feet warm and dry because water always finds a way to try to seep in somehow. For some reason, I don't see the dressage riders out there doing this. No, you're not going to, no, because endurance riders, you know, when we just want to stay warm and comfortable, we don't really care what we look like, as long as we're comfortable and our horse is comfortable. So then, let's see, where's my next one? Uh, For winter riding gloves, uh, cross-country ski gloves work great. Uh, I'm finding a lot of of ski gloves are often way too thick, and then you end up taking them on and off all the time, which defeats the purpose. So it's good to kind of shop around and find a good pair of gloves that you can use. Um, Let's see here. Uh, Jackets with hoods are nice because you can, some of them have big enough hoods, you can put them over the top of your helmet and others don't. So then you can just put them on over your head and then put your helmet on over that, which works really good. Um, Those are all just things you want to kind of try out ahead of time to make sure that it's all going to fit. And let's see. Um, riding tights, of course, good winter riding tights are terrific. Hand and toe warmers, those things are, have been lifesavers. And uh, I know Costco used to carry them by the case. Um, otherwise, you're going to need to go to like a sporting good type store and find them. But they're great. They're just instant. You you peel off the thing, you can stick them in your gloves or on the top of your feet, and you're good for several hours to stay warm. Let's see. A rain cap or rain bonnet you can also use to put over your helmet, which you can use that along with the hood because sometimes having more than one layer works if you're going to be out there all day. And one of my favorite things to do is to use two rump rugs. So, which might seem like a lot, but when you come into a vet check and it's pouring rain or you need to stop and take a pit stop for some reason, you can flip one of the rump rugs over the top of your tack in your saddle and the other one over your horse. And that way it keeps everything dry and also helps the additional amount of space covering your horse so that the horse is also staying more dry. And that always works, you know, even if you go into a vet check and have a blanket there, it still takes time to go, you know, find it and get everything together if you're there alone without a crew. And then one of the other things I learned over the years riding some of these long point-to-point rides where it's just pouring rain and everybody was having their phones and their GPSs get wet and get ruined is that baggies – only can work for so long and eventually the humidity and other factors are going to play into it and things are going to get ruined so i have found these swift water rafting packs that you can buy they they come in all sizes and they have ones that will go around your neck or around your waist and they're made so that you can actually go like 
water rafting or even diving in them and they will keep your phones and your other electronic stuff really dry and yep. they actually do work. I, and I, w- I want to warn people that the, not all of these are the same. So if you go to Amazon and look for these, we did that too for one of the I don't know, one of the trips we were on where we knew we were going to get wet and we uh-huh. hadn't tested it first to see if it really yes. did work and it wasn't cheap crap. And guess what? Everything Uh-oh. got wet. Yes, test it first. Test yes. it on something not important. Yeah, like not your money or your passport. Yeah, uh, like yeah. a granola bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't test it on your passport. That's what we did, and uh, oh. they got very wet. So, oh, no. I think this was an Alaska oh, no. trip or something we did. And so, yeah, I highly advise you to test them first. Uh, That's now, a good tip. Same, same with any of these things. Test them out ahead of time. <laughs> we will uh, put Try a link. It. You have a link to some of them on a Amazon. These are them. the ones that you use. Oh, similar ones. Okay. I don't know if they're the same exact ones that I've got, um, but but yes, these things have worked well for me on rides to keep everything dry. Because you think it's safe in your pocket that's under two or three layers of whatever you're wearing. It's not. Now you're getting pouring down rain. <laughs> nothing's safe, right? So <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, and then you know that that's the benefit of having the the layers with the high tech materials is that it still will keep you comfortable you know it'll keep it so that you're able to breathe and not just get all sweaty and that's the thing you know a lot of the hikers the long distance hikers complain that they when they do put on the rain even the high-tech rain stuff then they get all sweaty and they would just rather get wet than be sweaty exactly exactly you run in the same issue Definitely depends on the conditions. And, uh, you know, the humidity makes all the difference in the world. You know, a horse can really overheat even when it's still cold in the morning if there's a lot of humidity versus, you know, later in the day where it might reach, you know, almost triple digits. But now the humidity has gone down. It just so that's why every, you know, all of us riders need to kind of go out and experiment and learn what is going to work for our particular conditions. Right. Well, very good. Lots of good pointers. We'll put the links to, I'll put the links in the show notes uh, for those waterproof cases on Amazon. So people can go find them. They're not expensive either. They're pretty cheap. So you can go check those out. Uh, And you, of course, have the national conventions coming up before our next show, right? Um, Yes, we do. March 4th and 5th in uh, Sparks, Nevada, which is basically right next to Reno. And they're, as usual, they will have several different uh, educational seminars going, and uh, they will have uh, vendors, so you can go shopping and a used tax sale and lots of other fun stuff, awards, dances, things like that going on. So check that out at aerc.org. And you're going to go down? It's close um, to yes. you. Yeah. It's yeah. probably you're not it's snowed close. in up there in the mountain. Oh, my gosh. You know... Don't even say that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, we had the driest January on records. So no telling what things are going to bring. You know, we always had our, when we lived in the Northeast, we always had our biggest blizzards in March. Beginning of March was always the biggest blizzards for some yeah. reason. Yeah. Anything can happen. You know, we're just hoping by then it's going to be, you know, a little bit longer daylight and yeah, maybe warmer, warmer temperatures yeah. and, and things will be okay. And, well, how many yeah. uh, na- national seminars would this be for you? Oh my gosh, since the early 90s. So a lot. A lot. (laughs) Too many to count. (laughs) And this is AERC's 50th anniversary. Oh, cool. Very good. So they're celebrating that and and, uh, they're still getting vendors. Uh, Our own um, sponsor, the Distance Depot, is even going to be there. And we're going to talk to her next. Why don't we get her on the line? Good morning, Kristen. Thank you for joining us. I'm looking forward to hearing about some new tech colors I hear you got. Yes. Um, good morning. We do have new colors and um, some new limited designs that we're really um, excited about as well. Um, so most of your listeners know that we manufacture the tack right at our store in Peculiar, and um, it's all handmade there. Um, we have probably, it's safe to say, that we have the fastest turnaround in the industry as well as the most color choices. Um, I'm pretty sure we have just about every color available, but a couple of the new colors that have come in, there's a new key lime green beta, which is really pretty. It's a key limey color. 
and a new safety yellow beta. We have had the safety yellow biothane for quite a few years, but the safety yellow beta um, is a bright, um, think highway worker yellow. I mean, it is a bright (laughs) safety yellow, but people have been pairing it. We've been posting some fun pictures on our Facebook page. Check those out. Um, We've been pairing it with electric blue and lime green and the key lime, so it looks really sharp. Really, really some fun new colors. We have a new um, limited edition, we're calling it. We actually have quite a bit of it, so it won't run out real quick, but it's a flamingo overlay. (laughs) And (laughs) it's really super fun with palm trees. You just did that for me, didn't you? Oh, my gosh. It is so (laughs) cute. Um, It's for all you Florida endurance riders out there over the age of 70. Uh. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun with the palm trees and it looks great on the, we have a pastel pink, the the new pink, we call it. Um, and we've even done it on forest green. So it's really new and super fun. I don't think there's anything out there like it. So we're really excited cool. about it. So, yeah. So, and I hear you're coming to the AERC convention in March. Yes. For the 50th anniversary. How could yes. we miss that? So, <laughs> Good for you. yeah, it, it's a long way for us, and it's hard to travel with the mobile unit. So, I think we're going to come in a limited capacity, um, which basically we haven't decided everything we're going to bring, but we'll definitely have TAC there, and we'll be taking orders, and we're going to offer special discounts, of course, for um, convention attendee members uh, or attendees. So, um, and the AARC members um, to order that weekend. So, hopefully, people will stop by and visit us. And if somebody wants to order now, how do they get in touch with you? They can um, just look up our website, which is www.thedistancedepot.com. And, of course, our customer service girls are there to help. You can call us toll-free, 866-863-2349. Terrific. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. Our first guest this morning is Farzad Ferradi. He has ridden nearly 12,000 miles since 2001. Last year's ride season, he placed first and second in the Southeast region. And he is a very regular competitor, travels to many different regions and states each season. And we're looking forward to talking to him about and getting maybe a little bit of advice on riding and competing in the Southeast. Good morning, Farzad. Thank you for joining us joining us hey good morning karen thank you thank you for having me how did you get involved in endurance (laughs) well uh, i bought my first horse which was a quarter horse because i love to jump and i was just taking lessons and riding in my neighborhood and lo and behold my male lady who delivers the mail to me saw me on the road and asked me for the endurance. And she had done some endurance riding, so she got me started. And then I quit jumping and rode that quarter horse for three years and finally got my courage to buy me a couple of Arabians. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> it was 2001 when I did my first endurance with that quarter horse. I don't, can you believe nice. that it's, you've been doing this for over 20 years now? Ah. I, I, it is hard to believe because if you ask my friends, they still think I don't know hardly anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a reputation for being clueless because I did a lot of my rides solo and also clueless. I still have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. There's Fair nothing point. wrong with being solo. That makes your horse independent. <laughs> so tell us about the horses you have now that you ride. Uh, I have three horses. Okay. The two that I rode very extensively last year. I have had them for several years, but I just started heavily competing them past couple of years. And then another young one, relatively young, he's seven years old. I'm going to try to start them in some limited distances this year, the whole year. And then hopefully next year, get them on 50 mile and up endurance races. And so what are some of the challenges you think, you you know, that you face riding in the southeast compared to some of the other regions that you've ridden in? Well, I'm, I'm sure you are aware southeast has very competitive riders. 
Yes. Uh, when I was riding more competitive, like years ago, almost a decade ago, and I was like, always trying to be first. It was challenging, um, but I got over that. Uh, I tried to do this with the horse and what he can and not worry as much about, um, you know, placing top 10 or first or nothing. But um, other than that, I love the Southeast. We have a variety of rides. I can go to many, many, many rides within from two to three hours of my home. Mm-hmm. Or I can get to other regions, less than 10 hour drive, and once in a while I do the long distance over the cross country hauling, you know. But when I go to other regions, Maybe because those tough rides in Southeast, including the mountain rides, have got the horses and myself conditioned, they're simply more relaxed. And because I'm traveling so far, I want to make sure I have a good ride. It's like there's no pressure, you know, just mm-hmm. riding for the scenery, like in Colorado, enjoy the view and five years in my horse and just no pressure, you know. So how many miles did you drive last year? Oh, well, in the one trip that I made to Montana and then to Colorado and back, that one trip was 5,000 miles. Oh, wow. Okay. And shortly after that, bought a new trailer and went to Maine and came back. That wasn't that bad, probably a couple of thousand miles. And then your average one or two years, one or two times a year going to Florida in the winter time. But I didn't have not figured out the whole mileage of the year. Probably, probably around fifteen thousand. Have you I'm definitely less than twenty thousand miles? Have you been down here to Florida? I live in Ocala. Have you been here yet this year? I've been there for the New Year's Eve ride, and then I'm going back again next next weekend. Yes. Okay, uh, next weekend. So, how was the New Year's Eve ride? I heard about that one. How was that? It's awesome. I really like that ride. That's the ride I started last year uh, and um, to get to have a good year. But this year, because of the have beautiful Christmas lighting, which was nice, but it wasn't horse-friendly. No. Okay, so let me explain that. Let me explain that. So the Florida Horse Park this year decided to do one of those drive-through light displays. And yeah, all over the Florida cool. Horse Park, they put up these metal frames with lights on them that look like, you know, angels and stuff. But they were all uh, over the yeah. place. So everybody that was coming in for horse shows, their horses had to freak out at these metal things that were all over the place. <laughs> was, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, our horses are a little bit more used to those things because I conditioned my horses on the road, semi-tractors driving by. But I assume all those cutting horses were not as used. But it was great. I, I, I ended up riding two days. They did not have the 100 miles this year. So I just rode two days and enjoyed watching those cutting horses. It's, it's yeah, they had cutting really horses there, and apparently there were some that got loose and stuff. They're, they're, because of the these oh, these geez. displays they had everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't see anyone get loose, but we watched them twice, two nights, and it was just fascinating the way those horses look in the, uh, in the cow's eyes and it just mirrored the movement. It was just uh, <laughs> My wife's tried that a couple times and she said it's so much fun. She said it is fun to do. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, I bet it is, yes. <laughs> so uh, I'm going again this year in a week and then probably one more time there's a two-day ride in McCulley Farm. It used to be a chicken farm. I'm not sure to... Yep, that's right. Yep. Explain what it's like riding down here. You're riding pretty much through the woods the whole time because it's it's mostly on the Florida Greenway or in the forest. So it's mostly through the woods, right? When you say here, you mean in Florida? Yeah, in Ocala, yep. Yes. Yes, uh, these three different rides, actually they have different train. Uh, I think McKellar was very interesting going through woods. Horse Park was some woods. Uh, and get it, yeah, dark woods. Uh, some of them have a lot of lime, lime rock. It's not really bottom of horses, and you just have to watch for the deep sand. Other than that, yeah, that's beautiful. you do run into the deep sand here in spots, and also roots. So, in some of those places, too, you have to keep an eye on the roots. 
so far, Sad, how do you specifically manage your horse when you're riding in um, the warmer weather and humidity? Like what types of um, things do you do with electrolytes and cooling and stuff like that? I, I see. Yes. Well, of course, I have my sponge. And when it's hot, I get off and actually use my helmet to pour horse to pour, put water on the horse as much as I can in the in wherever there's water, you know. Uh-huh. And then electrolytes, I basically do the same thing year round, you know. I I make my dose two or three times of the recommended dose on the package, and I just electrolyte them the night before, the two nights before, and the morning. I don't really give a lot. A whole bunch more in the summer. Even when I went to Montana and it was like 100 degrees and very humid, I did the same as far as electrolyting, but of course I did a lot more cooling off with the sponge and mm-hmm. stopping at the water trough, getting off the horse, and either using my helmet or I carry a small topover type dish clip to my salad, you know. I use that, but electrolyte are pretty much stick to the same thing year round. Okay. It has worked, maybe not. Just pull them off more. Now, do you have any advice for somebody that's starting out new in the sport? You know, like you were twenty years ago. Well, I really would advise them to listen to other people. I asked so many questions when I started, I and mean, I didn't even know what electrolyte was. Mm-hmm. Two, three rides in the season. Somebody says, do you do electrolyte? And no, so they taught me. Um, ask questions. Ask questions. And uh, don't be very competitive. Those early years, I was so competitive, my even quarter horse, that I would make mistakes and try to go fast. But uh, take care of the horse, electrolyte well, and ask a lot of questions, you know, and have fun, really. It just really is about having fun. Driving mm-hmm. all these thousands of miles and riding 12 hours in the 100 degree weather, it has to be fun. Otherwise, why are you going to do it? You know? <laughs> right. What kind of train do you condition in at home? At my home, uh, where I, I live in the country, so I can ride on the country roads, but hardly any, any hills. I may find some bank on the side of the road and go up and down 10, 15 miles. But I can I can haul my trailer to a nice sandy place with an hour and a half drive, and I can haul my horse to the nearby mountain half an hour. So depending on what rides coming up right now, because there's so many rides are southeast and Florida are sandy, I try to go to places and do some deep sand. And then when the mountain rides start, I try to go get more hill work. On the horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's depending on what part of the year I am in, you know. Uh huh. What's your favorite ride? Ooh. <laughs> I was thought you could ask me something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it can uh, be uh, hard. There's a lot of nice ones out there. The favorite ride, because I did a hundred mile in Vermont twice, and I did really well. I would say that's one of my most favorite ones. But Biltmore, three hours away and beautiful. I guess it's a toss-up. Okay. Biltmore or Vermont. If the distance matters, yes, I would say Biltmore. I can drive three hours there and ride 100 miles. <laughs> beautiful <laughs> train. But something about a point-to-point ride, like Vermont and Old Dominion, that's just beautiful, you know? Okay. So you it's, like doing hundreds? Yes, I love okay. to do 100. Um, I did a lot more of them 10 years ago, but this year I think I did three or four, and I want to try to more this coming up here. Are you going to go to the Old Dominion National Championship in June? It's a toss-up. I like to go there. On the other hand, I like to go to back to Montana, and then from there go to Colorado, do the Spanish Peaks. Sure. Okay. I've done I've done Old Dominion and won it so many times. Not so many times. I think twice. So okay. I don't. I really don't know. That's a lot of times for most people. <laughs> by the way, uh, <laughs> winning twice is a lot of times for most people. Uh, well, I I I didn't want it like the first. I I wanted the cavalry situation. Cavalry. 
I didn't have any crew, so I carried all my food and gear for my horse and myself on the horse. Wow. And you're not supposed to get any assistance from anybody else. That's the way I was able to win it. Oh, you know? cool. But, okay. Well, that's pretty cool. I never heard of that, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah our domain does it. It's called cavalry. Uh, you can you cannot send your gear. You just have to carry it with you. So I basically had another 20 pounds on the horse the first year, and then realized I really didn't need that much because there was so mm-hmm. much grass for them to eat. So next year, I did a little bit less on the horse, you know. And as a rider, just a few power bars. and They give you water on the, on the horse, so you don't have to carry water for yourself. They give you water to drink, so just carry electrolytes and food for you and your horse. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. so uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, I hope you do well here in Ocala. What, next weekend you're going to be down here, so uh, have fun yeah. with that. Wonderful. Okay. All right. Thanks a bunch. We All appreciate right. you being here. Thanks, Farzad. Thank you. To be done. Thank you, Karen. Good luck. Okay. Hopefully, I get a pleasure to meet you one of these days. You Oops. are a legend. You know that. Oh, <laughs> hope so. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Well, he was a good guest. He sounds like a lot of fun, and like he just enjoys riding. You know, he just he does it because he enjoys it, and he does win sometimes too. Uh, well, exactly, and it's, it takes a big commitment when you're traveling around the country and keeping two horses in, in competition shape. And you know, one thing that you have to worry about wherever you ride in this country, you know, we were talking about roots, we were talking about sand, we were talking about rocks. You have to worry about the horse's feet, and a lot of endurance riders choose to ride barefoot, but they use boots. Renegade hoof boots. And you do too. Tell us about Which- it. Yes, I do. I've been using them for many, many years. I've gotten lots and lots of miles in them. Um, One of the things I really like is how they are so, the company is so willing to help people work and fit their horses so that the boots will stay on in all different conditions. Um, I've been working with both of my, you know, newer horses feet and, and we've got them in really good shape and condition and the boots are working really terrific for them. They are made in the United States and they come in lots of different colors and a couple of different models so you can um, figure out which model is going to work best for your horse's hoof shape. And the way to do that is you can go to renegadehoofboot.com and send them a message. You can look them up also on Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Renegade Hoof Boots and join the group and start asking questions if you're still in the learning stage. Or, you know, you can even send me a message if you want, if you need to get some help. There's also a lot of YouTube videos that show how to size and fit, adjust cables and captivators and stuff like that, and just to make sure everything is fitting well. Well, our next guest is Diane Connolly, who is the ride manager for the Old Dominion National Championship ride that's coming up. She also helps participate in educational seminars that the Old Dominion group puts on every month. Welcome, Diane. Hello. I'm looking forward to the interview. Okay, good. Well, last month you did a seminar or you participated in one. Uh, Tell us about it. Um, the last one we did was called when she hits the fan or when she happens. Um, and the focus of it, um, was really all about an ounce of prevention can hopefully stop things from happening at a ride. Um, so the first half of the, of this, of the presentation was all about being prepared, had your mm-hmm. horse being prepared, the rider being prepared. Uh, biggie we talked about was you can really prevent a lot of things from happening at ride if you do a pre-tack check, pre-trailer and truck check so you don't end up broken down on the side of the road on the way, and talked about trail. Um, and then when we got to into the second half, it was really all about minimizing when shit happens um, so that if you have a tack breakdown out on trail, if you're carrying a few items like bailing twine or clips or zip ties, you can fix almost anything on trail uh, in order to get yourself back to the vet check. And then again, being very prepared and having spare parts, spare girths, spare saddle pads back at your vet check so you can change things out if things are going wrong. Uh-huh. What I love about our webinars is the personnel, we're having fun doing them. Um, 
But when you have a Lon, someone like Lonnie Newcomb who is giving anecdotal stories of things that have happened to her <laughs> and how she handled it, she's uh-huh. quite a storyteller. And so uh, between her and Terry Carroll, and, you know, I give some of my stories of things that have happened to me, but it keeps it very light and makes people realize you can get through these things and um, ride another day. So um, let's hear one of your from them. Let's hear one of your stories. <laughs> um, well, my, my biggest was getting uh, tying up at Biltmore several years ago, a spring ride, and I never had a tie-up. And I was freaking out, and um, a vet pulled me aside and said, Diane, look around. There are 28 horses tying up. This isn't your horse. It's probably never going to happen again. It was just a perfect storm. So learning from that, that, you know, the ratchet's, Grass is very rich down at Biltmore in the spring because it's right along a river. Yeah, they had had a lot of flooding the year before. So um, a lot of the fertilizer from the wineries had come up into that field. So the lesson learned was anytime I've ever gone to Biltmore since is I do not hand walk her in all that rich grass. I make sure I get her out and break a sweat uh, the day before. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, even, you know, Lonnie on this webinar was telling a story just this year and she has so, thousands of miles of endurance and ride and tie and talked about being down in Florida just a month ago and drinking tons of water, but not realizing she wasn't drinking electrolytes and actually got in trouble out on trail and, um, took care of it, you know, drank a lot of the person she was riding with her electrolytes, got back into the camp and had some more and still finished the ride. But, you know, somebody with that many years and miles of experience to be able to share that she just had it happen to her this year because she just wasn't thinking and, mm-hmm. you know, it was yes. extra warm and that kind of thing. So, Okay. So what's the next sem- seminar? You mentioned another one coming up. Um, we actually, and what I wanted to point out is our webinars, we've actually done um, quite a few. It's, this all started with us doing a... Um, 101 clinic virtually because of COVID. Um, And then we did a drag rider clinic, which was virtual because of COVID. And that sort of got us going on this trend and finding there were so many topics people were interested in. Um, So we've already done the art of crewing. And then we did one called um, mountains aren't too hard. So preparing for mountainous rides, especially if you don't live near mountains, Um, but they're all recorded and they're all up on YouTube. Um, okay. And then the latest one we just did was um, when Stefan or it happens. Um, our next one, um, which is February 15th is when everything goes right. Um, and it really, the focus on that is about setting uh, reachable goals. So no matter where you are in your endurance career, you can set goals for, you know, improving your finish time. Uh, set goals for, um, let's say you've been having issues with tack rub, um, that if you get through a ride without any tack rub, then that is a win. That is uh, the day went right. Um, that it doesn't have to all be about top tenning and be seeing. So our whole focus is going to be on how to set those obtainable goals and what do you do once you reach those goals. Um, and then our next big one is going to be March 15th. And it's actually going to be a panel interview um, or a panel discussion. And we're going to have, um, right now confirmed, we're going to have Stag Newman, um, who has completed 10 OD100s. In his career, he's finished 5900s. Um, Anne Lobain, who actually holds our course record right now, um, on the course we're using right now, which is just a little over 12-hour ride time. Um, Claire Godwin, who has um, done 33 100s, uh, completed 33 100s, many of them being the OD and Tevis, often in the same year. Um, Sarah Schick, uh, possibly Brenna Stevens. And the idea of this webinar is really talking about and hoping that it will entice some Western riders to come to the national championship they're basically going to talk about their strategies and their prep to be able to be successful at the OD 100 
and have been successful at the Tevis or other Western rides. Um, and doing really a compare and contrast of, you know, what's easier at the OD, um, how they're different, but how they're similar and how their preparation is different for the OD to accommodate the um, humidity and the heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we're also going to have a focus at the beginning before they start talking about how often we have um, people come to the OD doing their first OD 100 and completing it. In 2018, we had, it was, it was fantastic. We had over an 80% completion rate. And of that eight were first time hundred mile riders. And I think five of them were the first hundred for that horse. Um, so we have a lot of people that come to the OD and are successful the first time they try it. And the focus of that March webinar is to talk about that and, to give people the strategies that these people that have been so successful at doing the OD 100 um, use in order to get around and, um, and are successful. Okay. That sounds like a terrific topic. So they can find this on YouTube. What do they need to look for? Um, The ones that have already been recorded and are up on YouTube, all they have to do is go to YouTube and search O-D-E-E-O or search Old Dominion Equestrian Endurance Organization, and we have our own channel, I think it's called, okay. up on uh-huh. YouTube, and they will pop up. Okay. Well, now let's talk about the upcoming national championship. Oh, I can talk all day on that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited about it. Um, on Thursday, June 9th, will be the 55 national championship. Um, so I just want to make sure everybody knows that it is 55 miles, not 50. Uh, it's also going to be the ride and tie regional championship. Um, Friday, um, we're actually going to hold our regular open division, 25 miles and 55 mile. Um, so if people, you know, bring, can bring two horses and ride the national championship on Thursday and then ride again on Friday. Um, on Saturday, we're going to have the national championship 100. We have had a lot of requests for an open 100. So we are going to do an open 100 and we're also going to have a ride and tie 100. Uh, Janice Holder Bridal and her partner finished the OD 100 ride and tie last year and it sparked a lot of interest. So we're hopefully going to have a lot of teams uh, trying that. Uh, exciting news about the national championship is we've got some big vendors already lined up. We have a lot of our, our normal local vendors, Ghost Saddles, the East Coast rep, um, Kim, not only is donating a saddle to um, the first place finisher in the 100, she is also setting up a vendor booth with um, models of all the different Ghost Saddles and will be taking orders. Now, are you, are you looking for volunteers? Uh, yes. Um, okay. And we've already actually got some people signed up. Um, the What I do want to point out, um, for those that are not familiar with the OD100, um, is it is a point-to-point. It's um, a big circle. I actually call it a lollipop. Once you leave camp, you never get back, come back to camp till you're finished. Um, and different than the Tevis is crew are allowed at every single vet check but one. And that one, we provide everything. We provide grain, beet, uh, soaked beet pulp, hay, water, ice if truck horses are in trouble. And we feed the, the riders. We feed the volunteers. We have sandwiches. We have, you know, granola. We have water. We have Gatorade. We have everything. It's a big smorgasbord. But for all the other vet checks, the crew can go from vet check to vet check and crew okay, for their yeah. riders, um, which is really neat. Um, as far as volunteers, um, we actually have a questionnaire, um, which we just finished, um, having a couple of people, um, test it for me. Um, and it'll be up on the ARC national championship website, and it will also be on the OD website. So if somebody wants to come and volunteer or come ride one day and volunteer one day, they can, um, go to that questionnaire and fill it out. And if things change as far as what they can do or when they can volunteer, they can go back in and edit it and change their responses. Um, I have a volunteer coordinator who 
takes care of all of that for me, and it's great. Um, so it will be going live on ARC and on the OD website in the next couple of days. We just wanted to make sure it was working okay. correctly. Okay. Um, so that's the best way people can sign up um, and you know let me know that they're coming and want to help. Well, sounds like a really fun event. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh, we're getting more and more excited as we're getting like the different vendors and mm-hmm. we're getting as different different things. Yeah, it gets closer and um, starting to get lots of emails. I'm coming. What can I do to help? Or yeah. so that I've been pumping Good. it up at different rides. And when I after I talk at a ride, I have people come up. Well, now I'm coming. Now that you've talked about it, so I'm I'm hoping <laughs> between that and this interview and our webinars that we'll get a, a big turnout. Yes, I hope so. Well, I wish you luck. And I uh, just want to thank you again for joining us this morning. I enjoyed it. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Diane. Okay. All right, cut. Good job. Oh. Perfect. Okay, thanks. It's just what okay? we were looking for. Yes, it was great. It was yeah. perfect. Yep. Okay. And thanks for doing <laughs> the seminars. I think those are terrific. Uh, they have, you know, it started out as just the one, and then they've just kind of, it's been, they've just snowballed. And the more we do them, the more people are signing up. And Cause You know why? Because you're the only one doing them. You know, there's no... Uh, else? Southeast, I was going to say last year, Southeast did quite a few, but I don't know how they advertise them. But yeah. um, all, all we do is put it out on Facebook a week before, and the the interest has been incredible. Good. Good. So. All right. Sounds good. Thanks a bunch. Okay. Thanks, Diane. Bye. Have a good Thanks. day. Bye. Okay. Bye. Well, Karen, thanks for putting together another endurance episode. I hope that, uh, you know, you, you you can do interviews on your phone. There's a voice memo feature on your phone. Right, right. And I have the app you told me to get. So do some interviews while you're at the convention. Okay. And we'll play them in next month's show. We can try that. I think we did that once before. Yeah, you should do that. You should get some people, force them to come to the side and take them aside someplace a little quieter and then uh, do the interviews right there. I know. that was. I remember that's the hard part because they're constantly doing drawings and announcements and all sorts of stuff going on. Just take them in a hallway somewhere and uh, and do it. But yeah, people love hearing Mm -hmm. those uh, interviews from conferences. I do it all the time. So uh, yeah, that's your assignment, your homework. Sounds like fun. All right, that's your homework. Where can people find you? Um, just look up uh, NV Endurance Rider. NV Endurance Rider is where you can find Karen, Facebook, of course. Facebook. Yeah, I'm going Instagram, to put the links Twitter. to everything we talked about today in the show notes. So you can find them right there on your phone. And you can find the links and just click on them to the different rides and all that stuff. And uh, if you want to hear all the past episodes of Horses in the Morning, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com. And uh, we're going to hang around just for a minute or two here and do a post-show for the auditors. So hang on, auditors. That's it for today. Thanks, Karen. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Jamie will be here. So we're with the auditors now. Um, so we had one very chatty guest and one not so chatty guest. <laughs> well, he was chatty, yeah, you, just he answered in very short sentences. Yes, you just never know. Yeah. Sometimes you just... and, and for the auditors, you know, you um, we get these guests on, and sometimes we've met them in person or we've talked to them ahead of time, and they're just blah, 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 blah. And then when you get them on as a guest, they answer in these one sentences, you know? And it's like pulling teeth to get him to talk and or it's the exact opposite we'll talk to him ahead of time and i'll say to karen or to jamie or whatever i'll say i don't think this one's gonna be very good we're gonna have to work at this and then they don't shut up so it's <laughs> like when we had her when we got her on first uh she was like i didn't think we were gonna get anywhere with her she was very short and very quiet and like she was very nervous but then when she when she started asking her questions she just went you know yeah, so it's yeah. it's just crazy <laughs> It's just crazy. It's, you never know what to expect. Hey, uh, if you're not interested in space, then turn off the show now. So Karen, uh, Karen's husband is a real space geek. Like he has an actual telescope with a dome and everything at the house. So he's like a super nerd uh, uh, astronomer. Um, so 
I got to ask you about this Starlink thing that uh, Elon Musk is doing. Now, for those that don't know, Elon Musk is putting up this internet in, in space, and it's but it's like 20,000 little satellites. Well, right now there's just over 2,000 up because they just launched another 49 a couple days ago. There's going to be 42,000 of them eventually. Oh, my God. How can you? Somebody keeps track of all the satellites that are already up there, which are right. junking it, up it's space. It's going to be like 15 times the number of satellites there are Is there now. anybody that regulates satellites? I'm, You know, I'm not really sure. Or can he you just know, put whatever the hell he wants up there, and then the next person to go to the moon is going to be bouncing off satellites to get there? Yeah, because— yeah, you do kind of wonder, can any one government regulate it? I'm not real sure because we are launching, like we just launched a satellite for Italy the other day. So, uh, you know, the cool thing with SpaceX is that it it is actually saving our government a lot of money because they're able to launch and they're reusing the rockets, which is one of the things that I find really incredible with the engineering and technology and, and how we've advanced to being able to reuse these rockets. Like for example, SpaceX is, says it costs about $30 million for each launch. Whereas before it was costing between, 60 and 90 million dollars. How are for each they going to miss? How are they going to make any money on this? Well, they're going to be able to provide internet to basically the entire globe. And all those people will, that live in the country that, you know. In the country, but it's also more about also the poor countries. It's going to yeah. bring them into the modern age and give them advances in technology and access to things that they never had before. Like right now, SpaceX is working on rebuilding the internet structure in Tonga. Remember, Tonga mm -hmm. was the island that got basically obliterated yep. by the tsunami. So they're, you know, they're doing a lot of good in the world to help a lot of people in some of these developing countries that really do need it and are going to benefit from it. Um, on this Thursday, Elon Musk is going to make an announcement about upcoming SpaceX projects and stuff, which is really cool because he hasn't done that since 2019. And so we're kind of looking forward to hearing what he's going to say because we do have um, more um, stuff that SpaceX is planning, like to go back to the moon and then start to get everything. You know, they've been working, of course, ultimate goal is to go to Mars. It's good to be a billionaire multiple times over, huh? <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it, you know, and and the because I've actually had friends contact me and say, Karen, I was outside the other night and I saw a whole bunch of these, like, little dots in a row. I was wondering if you guys might know what they are. And I'm like, well, I'm guessing it's a Starlink satellite, you know, grid that's going over and good for you for yeah, we can't tell stars it. from satellites anymore it's like <laughs> well there's a whole well they're in a row they're all nice and neat in oh, a okay. pattern and so eventually once we get all forty-two thousand of them up there they're gonna be linked together to provide basically like this huge web grid type of well there's thing. a lot of our listeners right now who live in the country that are going to be happy to see that when it finally comes right now it's pretty much you have to be in the northern part of the country even southern canada to exactly, really get any yes. coverage yeah right and it's still kind of expensive you're you know you got to buy the equipment and then you're looking at a hundred dollars a month yeah but if um, you if you got crappy internet and you've been living with crappy internet for years you you'll pay it uh -huh. yeah <laughs> right <laughs> right because and, and then once the whole grid is established you know it's going to be a lot better service than you're currently getting from any kind of a satellite provider because it's just i mean 42,000 you know yeah. that's just it's kind of crazy but it is sort of cool I'd, have you been to see any of these launches uh no but we occasionally if we're in the right spot like if we're outside the community and and the launches you can see them from ocala occasionally if you're in the right spot okay especially at night I would love to see, you know, the launch and then the landings are just like something out of a sci-fi movie. Yeah, it is. It is this, to see the uh, so rocket cool. boosters come back. The uh, we I was I was actually in Wellington once last year, actually pre-COVID, and they had a launch and we saw the launch. We actually went down to the beach in Wellington, yeah. which is very much south of uh, where they take off. But yeah, you could see it. I mean, you just yeah. see it. So we did see one from the from the beach there, but I've never been close up. 
Okay, because last week or the week before, they had to delay a launch because a cruise ship. Yeah, it's the cruise ship we were supposed to be on next week for our horse lovers cruise. And I wonder who got the wrong message or if nobody just told the captain. That's my guess. Well, yeah, because I'm sure he got in big trouble. Yeah, it's like, you know, somebody had to tell him, though, that he wasn't supposed to be there. Uh, Because even even scrapping a $30 million launch is a Kind of a big deal. Or maybe you know? they should have checked the cruise patterns because they come in at the same times every week. You know, maybe they well, should have yeah, checked that. Yeah, something happened. <laughs> something went wrong somewhere along the line in the process. Yeah, that's but, the ship that we have about five people out of the 50 that are left going on the Horse Lovers Cruise. And okay. uh, they're leaving Sunday, actually. So oh, okay, good, good. They'll be on that ship. They'll have fun. Yeah, yeah, the next, they're planning on two doing it again where they have the two rockets the launch and then come down side by side and this time they're going to be landing on a platform out in the ocean there he's just showing off you know that right so it's just i know but it's so <laughs> cool just you know the technology that's there and the engineering and stuff now can he they've got so can, much going on can your husband pick out the satellites with his super telescope Oh, for sure. I mean, you yeah. can, can he actually like see the shape or can he just see a glimmer? Oh, yeah. You can zoom in like when the ISS goes over and you can – there's apps that you can um, get that will tell you when these things are flying over based on your location. Uh, <sighs> and you can zoom in and – yeah, of course, he can see a ton of stuff. Now, let's let's ask about the International Space Station. With our relationship being so good with Russia right now, it must be real tense <laughs> up there on the ship. <laughs> it could be. But I, did, I had read that, you know, last week they had sent some Italian billionaire up to visit the space station as a tourist. I didn't even know they were doing that. I, but apparently <laughs> he, he donated a, a billion, and they all of a sudden, we can do that. Russia's looking well, for the money. Know, if they can get a bunch of money from these billionaires to help, yeah, you know, pay for some of this. That's great. <laughs> and I guarantee you, they don't have to go through uh, the normal training an astronaut does either. No, no. no but but what? A, we don't know, care if they die thing. in space. So, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's like you'd mentioned before. It's like we have Starlink building this big network of satellites, and you know, other countries are also working on theirs, and and so it's like. You know, how is that all going to work? Are they going to be up there running into each other or what's going to happen when there's that many thousands of them up there? All right, good. Well, Karen, that's it. Let's wrap it up today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Appreciate it.